Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here at Sar Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And this is our midweek audio-only Bible teaching. We are walking through God's Word one chapter a week and today we get to Numbers chapter 5. So as we say every week, if you've never read this, if you've no idea what Numbers chapter 5 is about, go ahead and press pause, read it, and we'll come back together as we seek to know and So the first thing for us to note about Numbers chapter 5 is that it's broken down into three sections. The first very, very short section, verses 1 to 4, talks about the general attitude to the unclean in the community. Uh, The second, slightly longer section, 5 to 10, talks about confession, restitution. And then the rest of the chapter, 11 down to 31, talks about this very um, unique test or proving for adultery and jealousy. But all of this to say, it's broken down into three sections, and each section begins with this phrase, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying. Uh, So what that tells us is that these are not suggestions for the community. Hey, look, if you fancy doing something to do with confession, you try this. If... uh, You've, there's, a, there's a spirit of jealousy in your marriage. How about you try this? Uh, no, these are commands from God. God says this, so this is how we're going to conduct ourselves. So, first thing, verses 1 to 4, very uh, reminiscent of Leviticus that we worked through probably this time last year, earlier uh, in 2022 as well. Uh, God speaks to Moses and command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. Uh, this is male and female. There is no special treatment based on your gender. And this is very reminiscent of Leviticus 13 for leprosy. 15 with uh, discharge. 21 uh, with contact with the dead. And if you read around this... Some people are going to suggest that this is very allegorical. This is really talking about sin and its effect on the community, and we need to be very, very separate from it and put it out of the community. And there's an, you know, an element of truth there, but the plain and simple meaning of this text, which is how we're going to read our Bibles, unless it produces for us an impossibility or an absurdity, The plain and simple meaning of this text, as we talked about when we worked through Leviticus, is that public health was really important. God cares about the physical, literal, day-to-day health of his people. And if you've got somebody with an unknown skin disease, leprosy, if you've got somebody who's clearly ill and their body is trying to purge itself of that, you've got somebody with a discharge, or if you've got somebody who's been hanging around or dealing with a dead body, uh, they should be separate from the majority of the community until that situation's rectified itself. Uh, The next part, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verses 5 to 10, talks about uh, confession and restitution. So when a man or a woman, when anybody in the community commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, it's very broad brush strokes here, and that person realizes his guilt, 
And Paul kind of unpacks that in his letter to the Romans and says, look, without the law, we don't really know what we're sinning, how we're sinning specifically. So look, when we break the law and we realize that it's wrong, we're going to confess that sin that's been committed. Uh, kind of word for word Hebrew, they shall confess their sin that they have committed. Very, very plain, very, very simple. When you realize you've done wrong, you actively work to put it right. And we talked about this in Leviticus as well, uh, with this idea of restitution. Uh, so you are going to pay back what you did, uh, plus a penalty uh, of 20%. Really, really interestingly, in the middle of this passage in verse 8, if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, uh, it's going to go to the Lord, to the priest. They stand in his place in the community and receive uh, offerings and restitution. But really interesting there in verse 8, next of kin uh, is the same Hebrew word that we read of uh, a few times in the book of Ruth, talking about a kinsman redeemer. Uh, it's a really nice uh, language kind of cross between uh, the two books. And then very interestingly also, the end of this passage, when contributions, donations are made to the priest, because the priest again stands in place, physical, literal, visible place of God in the community, he's going to receive tithes, offerings, donations, sacrifices, restitutions. The person bringing it is still entitled to a, a little bit of it. And so the idea is that there's, there is a constant fellowship between God and his people. Uh, every contribution, this is verse 9, all the holy donations of the people of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. Each one shall keep his holy donations. Whatever anyone gives to the priest shall be his. So yeah, we give it to God, but we're also partaking in it ourselves. Uh, so, so far, so simple, really, uh, for Numbers chapter 5. And then things take a turn for the peculiar, let's say, in our modern Western world the rest of the chapter talks about this test for adultery. Uh, if we have jealousy in a marriage, this test, this very supernatural, without God wouldn't make sense test, is going to deal with adultery if it's taken place. But it's also going to protect the innocent if it hasn't taken place. Now, again, we're going to read this. We're going to read through it. It's going to sound and seem a little bit odd to our modern ears. Uh, but if we frame it in the context of this place and this time, this was hugely protective of wives who might have a, a husband who is naturally inclined to be jealous or a husband who's not really taking care of them as they should uh, in other places and still sadly in some places in the world some cultures if you're accused of adultery it's punishment first and then we might discuss it afterwards possibly perhaps nobody is going to be killed here on the accusation of adultery we're going to come before the lord and it's going to be revealed. So again, without God in this process, a real, living, just, righteous, holy God, true God, truthful God, none of this is going to make sense. So uh, introducing it, it says, look, uh, if they're in the eyes of a husband, 
if there's a suspicion of adultery, and it, to be fair, it says, look, whether it's right or not, we're going to get to the bottom of this. If there is um, suspicion, jealousy, the accusation of adultery, a husband suspects his wife of adultery, this is how we're going to uh, prove it. We're going to come to the priest. We're going to come before the Lord. We've just said the priests were the visible representation standing uh, before the people on behalf of God. And before we really get into this, just because uh, this particular case is a husband who suspects his wife uh, doesn't mean that there wasn't a corresponding law when a wife suspects her husband. A lot of the laws we see in this part of our Bibles are case laws. So they set the precedent for other situations. But So just because this is talking about a husband and a wife doesn't mean a man could do uh, whatever he likes uh, test free let's say uh, anyway so look if there is a spirit of jealousy we're going to come to the priest and we're going to bring uh, the offering required a tenth of an effort of barley flour no oil no frankincense because it's not a regular offering it's a grain offering of jealousy we read in verse 15 it's not going to be sweet there's no oil there's no frankincense there's nothing sweet about this because it's either going to prove that somebody is an adulterer or it's going to prove somebody innocent yet reveal somebody else to be a falsely accusing, jealous, for no reason kind of husband. Uh, so there's nothing sweet about this test and therefore the offering that's brought uh, is going to reflect that. And then, so the lady comes and she holds this offering and then essentially... There is a drink mixed up, and it's referred to a couple of times as a bitter drink. There's some dust from the floor put in it. Um, the priest, down in verse 23, is going to write curses in a book, the, the consequence of, of being an adulterer. Uh, and then the ink from his writing, whatever he's written with, is going to be scraped into this drink. Uh, and again, without God's involvement, without the supernatural element to this... We know, don't we, drinking water with a little bit of dust in it or a little bit of dried ink in it um, does nothing for you. Without God, none of this is going to do anything or make any sense. It's just a lot of um, well, it's ritual, it's hocus-pocus. It's just nonsense, isn't it, really? Without a true and living, real God uh, being in this <laughs> simply so this concoction is made up uh, and the priest puts the woman under oath uh, in verse 19 it says if no man has lain with you and you've not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority so basically if you've not uh, committed adultery had sex with another man whilst married uh, then be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse now verse 20 but if you have uh, if you've defiled yourself and some man other than your husband is lame with you, then what's going to happen is there are going to be physical uh, evidences of that. Um, let's see, we're down in verse 22. Uh, it will become known. Uh, you're going to be in. Uh, it's going to be revealed to the community uh, when the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell. This curse is going to bring the consequences of your bowels, make your womb swell. You're going to be very obviously physically ill and sick, and there are going to be consequences 
to your adultery. And so that plays itself out. This water is drunk. The promises are made. Oaths are taken. And in verse 27, uh, if this lady is found to have committed adultery, if she has defiled herself and has broken faith with her husband, she's going to experience bitter pain. She's going to be a curse among the people. But, verse 28, if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be set free and she shall conceive children. So it is going to be revealed, basically, through this supernatural involvement of God, whether you've got a jealous, accusing husband from which you're now being uh, protected, God is proving your innocence, or it's going to be revealed uh, that you've cheated on your husband. Now, again, it sounds odd to us because we don't do this kind of stuff anymore, but again, in this place at this time, the Babylonians, for example, would throw a woman into the river, and if she was guilty, they would assume that she'd drown. Uh, if not guilty, she would survive the ordeal of being thrown into a river in a place where there weren't swimming lessons for everybody. So that was almost setting somebody up to fail. Uh, so all this to say, look, it sounds odd to us, but in this place at this time, this would protect women from being falsely accused of adultery just because their jealous husband uh, has got it in his mind that you've been... Uh, carrying on with so-and-so uh, around the corner. And then this chapter kind of wraps up down in verse 29. This is the law in cases of jealousy when a wife, uh, though under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself, or when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife, then he shall set the woman before the Lord. God's going to decide. It's not, thankfully, it's not down to the husband. Uh, and the priest shall carry out for her all this law. The man shall be free from iniquity, but the woman shall bear her iniquity. I think what's unsaid there is if she has committed adultery. Uh, so number chapter five then started out fairly, uh, <laughs> relatively straightforward and simple, took a turn for the very peculiar uh, to our modern ears and sensibilities. But it's, it's really, again, it's important to remember that in this place at this time, this was a very protective law this protected women who otherwise uh, would have faced very very serious consequences just for the accusation uh, of being unfaithful next week in numbers chapter six we will talk about the nazarite vow and in there is one of the most common and beautiful blessings uh, pronounced over god's people and still used uh, in our churches today but until then god bless you